1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Well, over the weekend, uh, I should mention that Amy's off today, so I'm playing solo. Uh, over the weekend, we, um, as we are starting to get used to doing sat idly by and watch the ballots continue to be counted in Nevada and Arizona. And uh, as we did the outcome that we've become accustomed to came to pass yet again, which was down goes Blake masters in Arizona, down goes Adam Laxalt in Nevada. We talked a little bit about Laxalt on Friday, the expectation that he could get swarmed by the outstanding Votes to be counted. And uh, there, there were some rumblings from his camp. We talked to Brett Baer about it. He suggested that it was going to be very close. And it and it was a few thousand votes, but Laxalt's on the wrong side of it. So the Georgia runoff election matters in terms of defeating Warnock, who's a detestable figure and getting back to 50 50 in the Senate. But control of the Senate is past post at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that we're done in Arizona, and a little bit later in the program, actually in the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to Gina Swoboda, who's a former Secretary of State Elections Coordinator in the state of Arizona, and she's been on the ground. But the thing that is most troubling and baffling to me about Arizona, in addition to just the time it takes to count the votes there in uh, hardly the country's most populous County or the most populous state, the interminable time and all of the malfunctions that occurred on Election Day with the machines, which we'll get to. But on Friday, this uh, is being uh, bandied about that of the 400,000 outstanding ballots at the time, some two thirds to 70 percent were Republican primary voters because in part, I guess in substantial part goes the argument the ballots that had yet to be counted contained a whole host of Republicans who brought their mail-in ballots to the polling place because they wanted to vote in person because they didn't trust the vote by mail in Arizona, in Maricopa County. Maybe there's some good reason for that. But anyway, it was supposed to be as the next batches came in, Kerry Lake would overcome Katie Hobbs. It was it, even potentially Blake Masters could overcome Mark Kelly if you're talking about uh, two thirds to 70 percent of 400,000 votes being Republican votes. Well, that hasn't happened in the Senate race, certainly, and Mark Kelly was a more challenging candidate than Katie Hobbs, so that race was called. But the uh, Kerry Lake race, it's tightened. It uh, you know ballooned up to forty some thousand uh, a forty some thousand vote deficit. Now it's back down to about a twenty six thousand vote deficit with ostensibly about ninety thousand votes to count, and we're still hearing these are largely ruby red voters. I don't know if I'm believing. But this is what uh, Carrie Lake had to say over the weekend on Bartiroma.
2: You know, I I consider someone's vote their voice. I think of it as a sacred vote. And it's being trampled the way we run our elections in Arizona. I've been sounding the alarm for two years. Nothing got done. Very little got done last legislative session. And we need to get in there and restore faith in our elections. We can't be the laughingstock of elections anymore. And the particulars
0: of uh, what happened on Election Day since? 26%
2: of the printers or of the machines, tabulating machines, weren't working. We had a third of our polling places with either machines that were down or printers that had no toner or low toner in them. And then we had people putting their ballot into door three, as they call it, because the machines weren't working. And we found out some of those that were to be counted got mixed with votes that were already counted. It is just, it's embarrassing. It's wrong. And we need people who are competent running our elections. This incompetency or maladministration is outrageous. And notice
0: there's no uh, allegation, at least by Carrie Lake, of any conspiracy afoot, uh, the manipulation or election tampering. But there is, I think, (laughs) almost undeniably, a justified accusation of incompetence. And the response from Bill Gates, yeah, that's his real name, who is the chairman of the Board of Supervisors of Maricopa County, is um, this is misinformation by the Republican Party. This is an attempt to distract us from our good work by the Republican Party at both the state level and the federal level. Really? Um, this is the, you know, if I disagree with you, you're a racist. If you accuse me of something, I just label it as misinformation and it goes away, just like your argument does if I call you a name. That's the new, I mean, obviously, you've all been watching and listening. This is the new uh catch-all response from the left it's misinformation so i don't have to address issues of competency competency um if and by the way the what you heard carrie lake recount is what has been bubbling up from election judges who actually bore witness to these issues at various polling places around maricopa county so it's not something she's invented she's not making up statistics this is what uh, election judges reported back to Central Command and what Central Command had to concede because it's true. And by the it's misinformation. We're uh, five going on six days removed from the election. And there's two states that are out or two races that are out. Uh, Murkowski in Alaska and. Carrie Lake versus Katie Hobbs in Arizona. Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six D A Turnkey Pro Text Line and and you know again all of the and, and and by the way here there's some questions that Republican election observers uh, particularly like of the official party type and the election lawyers they need to answer too because we're you know they have people in the counting rooms so h- how can you understand That this is the sort of generally speaking, the distribution of the votes yet to be counted based on where they're coming from. And not and be so wrong about it, as evidenced by how the tallies have changed when these last couple of batches have been included in the count. And then we we continue to fall back to the position. Well, okay, that's the last bad quote unquote bad batch, and now come the ruby red votes. Maybe, but I got to tell you, how much confidence do you have that Katie? Excuse me, that Kerry Lake is going to overcome this twenty six thousand vote deficit in Arizona? I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot, just based on recent experience and the way this seems to be going. In And every time there's a protracted vote at the statewide level, it's a little different in a congressional race at the statewide level. Every time, at least in recent memory, there seems to be contract uh, protracted vote. Republicans invariably lose. Uh, You know, maybe uh, maybe you'd have to go back to like uh, Bush v. Gore in Florida. And that's only because the state Supreme Court and then the United States Supreme Court stepped in. And I'm not just going I'm not just talking about this year I'm not even just going back to 2020 go back a couple of cycles before that Norm Coleman in Minnesota with Al Franken invariably uh how why this happens so consistently in one direction it's an interesting question marks outside you're in Chicago's morning answer
3: good morning Dan i don't I don't think being a republican we can vote our way out of this and i still don't understand why in 2016 when the republicans had all three branches that we did not pass voter id that's not controversial according to all the polls people are for that and furthermore look at the election but, but voter id
0: where wait 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 v- voter id where
4: nationwide when yeah they, well that, that, that that's Biden? because
0: that that's 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 because elections are state and local matters And so the it's a legitimate question you raise, but it should be a question to Republican controlled state uh, legislatures and governors at the time they had that control if they didn't affect it. And and frankly, even if even if they don't have that control, if they're not making the argument for it. But go ahead.
3: Yeah, look at the results in Arizona for the statewide offices. I don't know if you've looked at them all, but running for state treasurer, they're all important offices. The Republican has a hundred thousand more votes than Blake Masters than Carrie Lake. She has more votes than anybody on that ticket, Democrat or Republican. It just doesn't add up
0: well, Look thanks at- for the call mark I mean you know and then the argument goes well, the Blake Masters and Kerry Lake were those are high profile races that get beyond the generic ballot and you and they're both associated with Trump and was that a drag you know it's a it's a question. Was it this much of a drag? Well, that's a, an additional question. Jim, Crown Point.
5: Uh, in the words of uh, Hillary Clinton, we broke through the glass ceiling in the House. So now let's use our power, go after Fauci. Biden, find out what the hell he was doing. Uh, uh, take money from the FBI. If the
3: Republicans don't go scorched earth, I'm, I am uh, uh, I'm going independent.
0: Thanks for the call, Jim. You know, just uh to close the loop on this and again we'll come back at the uh in the eight o'clock hour with uh Gina Swoboda, former election official in the Secretary of State's office in Arizona to talk in more de- detail about this. But there you know, there's also the just the hypocrisy of it. I know that hypocrisy is easy to point out and it's not persuasive to many, but I'm gonna go ahead and point it out anyway. This is Eric Holder at a rally for Stacey Abrams in 2018 when she was running against Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp was the Secretary of State of Georgia before he was the governor of Georgia. He was the Secretary of State, the sitting Secretary of State in 2018 while he was a candidate for governor. And this is what Eric Holder with Barack Obama, John Lewis, President at a rally for Stacey Abrams, this is what he said.
6: Now, you think about this. This is a guy who's running for governor while he is the Secretary of State. Right. That's like LeBron James suiting up for the Lakers and telling everybody in the game that he wants to referee the game in addition to playing for the Lakers. LeBron's actually a better ball player than this guy is a Secretary of State. I want to make that clear. But that's just not right. That's just not fair. You can't do both. He needs to resign. Now, he is trying he's trying to rig the system. He's going to do everything he can to try to win the system, rig the system.
0: Yeah, so Brian Kemp no evidence was required to make that claim he rigged the system. Stacey Abrams of course wouldn't concede because she in 2018 because she was in this camp riggy the system was rigged. I have no evidence of it. But I'm going to make that claim. Kemp, you know, some people have suggested Katie App should have recused herself in this election. I don't think anybody suggested she resign. Eric Holder, Brian Kemp should resign as secretary of state. You know, it just gets tiresome. And when the uh, postmortem from the D.C. press corps, the comm shop of the Democrats, so of course, so collectively is, you know, this was a reckoning for quote unquote election deniers. That's what. November 8th was as if there is only one side that has played this game of suggesting illegitimacy based on partisan affiliation. Now, Katie Hobbs serving as Secretary of State doesn't bother me any more than Brian Kemp did. That's consistency because I don't think Katie Hobbs has the competence, frankly. I'm not even worried about her having the competence to manipulate anything. Uh, you know, and if you understand how government works, Katie Hobbs, you know, it's not you know running the day to day on this. She's not an implementation tool. She's an overseer. Any any more than Jesse White in Illinois is an implementation tool for our elections. He's an overseer. So I didn't buy it against Kemp and I'm not buying it against Katie Hobbs either. But that's what distinguishes me and so many of us from the left. And you know what? That should be noted for the record even if the left wants to roll their eyes at their own hypocrisy.
1: It's like a hot steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560.
7: The AM- hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today. 773-467-5630. 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Signature Bank.
1: If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy's off today, so it is just me, just little old me. So in case you thought the medical establishment was going to try to regain its lost legitimacy. I bring you a the latest study published in the New England Journal of Medicine that purports to show that mask policies in schools work to prevent the transmission of COVID. They I'll get to the study in a second, but they looked at there's an observational study of some schools in Massachusetts. But in addition to that, in addition to preventing transmission of COVID, they allege, masks have another magical power. Quoting the authors of the study, We believe that universal masking may be especially useful for mitigating effects of structural racism in school, including potential deepening of educational inequities. So masks not only prevent the transmission of COVID, they prevent the transmission of structural racism. 312-642-5600, pro answer line, 64636DA, Pro text line. And if you're surprised by this, you shouldn't be. Don't forget, COVID did not impact people who were not wearing masks and rioting in the streets of cities around the country in the summer of 2020 because their cause was righteous. So if your cause is righteous, you don't need to wear masks or social distance because COVID respects that. But if you're uh, just a kid in school, then you need to mask up. I assume if you're non-BIPOC, so as to prevent the transmission of structural racism, because of course, Schools are places of inequity, you know, because there's honky kids roaming around. And they're perpetuating that white power structure that dominates K through 12 education, as I understand it. So there's the case for masks 2.0. I'm on board. How about you? I'm on board, but I want to take it further. As I tweeted over the weekend upon learning this study, I was excited. Take it at least a step further if we're going to do masks 2.0, if we're going to Kill two birds with one stone, COVID and structural racism. Then let's just be sure. I think that's fair. Uh, For the non-BIPOC students. Blindfold them. Plug their ears. Put hoods on them as well. Just to err on the side of caution. I mean, this is in the name of equity. And there's nothing we shouldn't do to advance the flag of equity particularly with respect to our kids you don't want to be participant you you don't want to be a participant in advancing structural racism and keeping the the bad old systems in place that leave minority children behind now of course uh, this is against the backdrop of any number of studies that have come out In the last several months alone, but many more before that. I mean, frankly, in the spring of 2020, when schools started to shut down, there were studies coming out even in the summer suggesting the impact on learning that not being in school was having on kids. But okay. So the studies that are coming out now that show kids a half a grade to two grades behind – from the school lockdowns with yeah minority children most negatively impacted that is not the result of these school shutdowns and remote learning and remote learning that all sorts of kids didn't show up for particularly in urban school districts as has been well documented these studies that try to quantify the loss of learning these are to be ignored Get back in school, put the masks on, prevent COVID transmission and reduce the structural racism that exists in K through 12 education, which, again, is maybe a bit surprising considering who's in charge of K through 12 education. That's not MAGA country any more than Streeterville is. But. So it's a bit confusing to me. But I mean, if we're doing something in the name of combating structural racism, the underlining, the 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 underlying uh, rationale for it is really immaterial. The goodness of the cause is all that matters. The opportunity to present yourself as a good person who's combating this alleged evil is what matters, right? Isn't it? Oh, by the way, speaking of COVID, uh, I note this. Now, now Pfizer and Moderna are launching clinical trials to track adverse health issues stemming from COVID, including myocarditis. Pfizer is in the infancy of clinical trials to determine if there are any health risks associated with their vaccine. This announcement of clinical trials to assess adverse outcomes Comes after a report that I saw over the weekend, or maybe it was late last week, uh, and is sort of you know, subsumed by all the midterm post mortem. But a study out that myocarditis risk two or three times higher from Moderna than Pfizer vaccine. This was um, uh, reported by UPI. Moderna tells UPI the benefits of the vaccine significantly outweigh the risks, but how do they know what the risks are when they're starting their clinical trials on adverse outcomes now? Hmm. Yeah, scientists uh, uh, underscored cases of heart inflammation as a serious side effect from either mRNA vaccine are rare overall uh, because they're doing their best to you know tamp down any concerns as they're pushing. The vaccine, you see it in public service announcements in Illinois and everywhere else, don't you? Uh, you also see it in terms of the forthcoming vaccine mandates to attend K-12 through education. You're just waiting for that shoe to drop from Governor Pritzker, aren't you? At Yale, did you see this story last week? Yale University requiring the vivalent uh, booster for the spring semester, so to go back to Yale after the holidays. That's required for students, but faculty and staff are exempt at Yale. This starting to make sense to you? If it is, please call in because it doesn't make any sense to me. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Max in West Rogers Park.
8: Hey, long-time listener, 15th-time caller. Thanks for having okay. me on.
0: Thanks for counting.
8: Yeah, not. Yeah, it's, it's very scary and concerning to see how many people wear masks outside. Because I do, I do think masks work as a concept, but not when you're outside and sweating and putting your hand in your pocket. And I saw a lady drop her mask in the, the front of a grocery store and then put it back on, which is the most dirtiest part of a grocery store, where you're, you're walking on it. And I actually, I'm starting to call them N95s because if you wear them outside, your IQs below 95. <laughs> and with a vaccine, I really, I really want to take the booster. So yeah, uh, are you looking forward to that? I can't though. It stinks because you need to take the first one to take the booster. There you go. Yeah, no, but it's, it's, it's craziness. And as you said, it's, it's, uh, I am someone that is very pro scientific method and it's, it's like kind of sad to see this cult because, uh, the reason why I didn't take the vaccine was never like, I definitely believe in conspiracies, but the reason why I didn't take it is because for any sort of medication, or any sort of medical study you need like seven to 10 years and we're still not there. And so the confidence that you see from people that all the benefits uh, outweigh the side effects. And even though like Pritzker or Biden will get COVID and they're like, Oh wow, at least I had the vaccine. It would have been so much worse because I'm a scientist and I know is that that's very concerning
0: and crazy. And I I worry for people
8: and I hope for the best. I don't want people to have myocarditis. I'm 31 years old.
0: I don't like Thanks. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. Thanks for the call, Max. Well, right. And so, so explain to me how, just again, Yale University, everything we know right now Yale University, no vax mandate for the older adults that are faculty and staff, vaccine mandate for the students coming back for spring semester. Who's most at risk again? I. There's no the adverse outcomes. It's uh, you can't connect it to the vaccines and so on and so forth. And there there's no reason to believe. And and uh, this is uh, anti-vax rhetoric. Well, then why are Pfizer and Moderna doing clinical trials? Why now? They're indemnified. They've got the entire medical establishment and political establishment backing their plays and repeating their rhetoric dutifully spreading their talking points. So what's the problem? Why even bother? Mask study. Why even put out this? I mean, I I understand, I guess, why the New England Journal of Medicine put out this study, because it's exactly what I said. It's time for mask 2.0. We underestimate the magical powers of masks. As Carol Markowitz points out, though, you know, one of the naysayers, she writes a good piece in the New York Post about this study, (laughs) <laughs> it's observational study but so was the study I mentioned in the Dakotas, North Dakota schools, uh, Fargo Public Schools versus West Fargo Public Schools. Very interesting study there, much better study than this one, this observational study uh that's published in the New England Journal of Medicine. This looked at two Massachusetts schools that kept their mask mandate in place when it when Massachusetts finally went to optional and the argument is they had a lower incidence of positivity and so that's proof that masks work but there was no look at mask wearing there was no looking at mask quality which has been conceded and then just summarily dismissed we just conceded by all these epidemiologists that are pro mask wearing pro vax mandates but they will say right all masks are not equal but that's not how we talk about it that's not how these observational studies are conducted except in the one in North Dakota, where they actually looked at demographics. They looked at the mandate versus the optional. They looked at what the mask wearing uh, policies were in terms of like, if if you see somebody with a mask below their nose, is the the mandate to go tell them to put the mask above their nose and so on and so forth. The enforcement mechanism. And we saw this in a military study, too, uh, a year, year and a half ago. And uh, what you found was in the observational study in North Dakota, basically no difference. In fact, the positivity rate from the fall 2021 to beginning of the year that semester in uh, those North Dakota schools, the positivity rate with the school that had the mask mandate was slightly higher. But here we go. New England Journal of Medicine back with another study. It's not just about not just about stopping transmission of COVID, it's about stopping structural racism. I don't even know how that works. If mask wearing and, and and not being in school, but even mask wearing itself and not the social, emotional development of being able to see other people's, other kids' faces and, and you know this child development people have talked to this as well. If, if that negatively impacts all children, then how does putting masks on all children Reduce these alleged inequities that exist in K through 12 education. I, I just, the logic evades me. But what they understand is this. Hey, if we're talking about a fight where people can feel good about themselves. And promote it on their social media pages, then we'll get people to do what we want. Don't say, you yeah, throw out the old, it prevents transmission. That's not enough anymore. We need another thing it does that'll rally the troops, that'll rally the COVIDians. Hey, it eliminates racism. Well, I'm on board for that. No questions asked. Tom and Volo, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
4: Yeah,
3: they say that this thing mutates and gets less and less, I thought. Why are they still pushing this stuff? I mean, well, I think I just told you,
0: right. I mean, like this, this has nothing to do with science. It mutates, it gets weaker and weaker. But not only that, you have most people who've either been vaxxed or who've had it and had it multiple times and built up antibodies naturally. So exactly. What are we talking about? And you have a population that is not particularly at risk. So what are we talking about? We're talking about politics, not science. Thanks for the call, Tom. Dawn Naperville.
9: Yeah, wise decisions are never made out of fear. We need to show that to our children. But when you're talking about equity, um, I don't think anything speaks more than the child with Down syndrome who came home with the mask taped around her face. Yeah, Florida. I know you had the dad on. Yeah, but that was heartbreaking and a perfect
3: example.
0: Thanks for the call, Don Roger Southside.
3: Yeah. Hi again, morning. Uh, well, this is the this is the last seeing you know with these midterms not going the way they probably should have or um you know they're gonna they're gonna get out there and flex a little more let's see i mean that's i mean here the bottom common line of the left is the passive aggressiveness and what they do is go out there and push it and push and push it until oh they get shut down or oh they run into the wrong person uh that guy had called i think two calls back who was his 15th call into your show, which is a great cause you I love your show. Um, ask him if he'd like to buy a downtown bridge in Chicago.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> is,
3: what, what, is, is he like Dr. McCullough's like, nephew or something? Oh, I didn't get the vaccine, but, but I'm going to tell you, he's telling you as a radio show host and all the rest of your large audience. But here, the masks do work. This is like having the crazy girl from Hensdale who's real hot, but you can't take her anywhere. I don't
0: think I don't think, you know I don't what think that's saying? what I don't think that's what Max Max, Max was saying about the masks. Uh, a bit of yeah, I don't I, I don't think so. I think know. he was being a little a little tongue in cheek, but thanks for the call, Roger. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook, or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy's off today, so it's just me. Is the old GOP dead? Dead and bury a time to build something new. Do we require more than new leadership in the House and the Senate, a new attitude, a new policy agenda? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line. 646-36-DA, Pro text line. As uh, you would expect over the weekend, given who they are, the uh, Democrat Socialists were spiking the football after the declaration in the Arizona and Nevada Senate races ensured they will retain control of the Senate. This is what Pagliacci had to say over the weekend. Chuck Schumer.
6: But finally, and maybe most important of all, the American people rejected, soundly rejected, the anti-democratic, authoritarian, nasty and divisive direction the MAGA Republicans wanted to take our country in. From the days of the big lie, which was pushed by so many to the threats of violence and even violence itself against poll workers, election officials, and electoral processes. And of course, the violence on January 6th. All of that bothered the American people. And another thing that bothered them just as much, too many of the Republican leaders went along with that, didn't didn't rebut that violence, and some of them even aided and abetted The words of negativity and other things, other things. And when I talk about violence, I mean violent language. (laughs) I mean violence against other people. Where was the condemnation from the Republican leaders so often missing from so many of them? That bothered, that bothered
0: Uh the American people. We got it. Uh, Spokesman for the American people, Pagliacci. Uh, Interesting. Uh, The election violence. I know it was much anticipated, much hoped for by the left. Was there Election Day violence, right wing, quote unquote, right wing election violence as so many leftists were putting out there? You know, their, their fears of this. We, we need special uh, security plans to provide for safety in the face of coming right wing violence on Election Day. Kim Fox's aunt isn't doesn't feel safe going to her polling place because of these imaginary right wingers who are going to commit acts of violence on Election Day. Did that happen? Oh, I know. I I understand. It's everything's an abstraction. It only didn't happen because of the wonderful planning. Of big city mayors and blue state governors, right? Is that the cover story? The division and the hate, right, from a party that calls anybody who voted for Trump a semi-fascist, from the party that called 75 million Americans insurrectionists, because that's what they've done from January 6th of 2021 forward, isn't it? But it doesn't matter because it worked. Or so they think it did. How well did it work exactly? How much did America speak with one voice on these topics? You know, um, you wouldn't know it to listen to the coverage. Of course, you you wouldn't know anything to listen to the coverage, anything resembling the truth. But, uh, you know, I predicted that the, the popular vote nationally would be something akin to the 2010 Tea Party revolution. And it was. It was running at about six percentage points in favor of Republicans, about fifty-three forty-seven. It looks like it's going to be closer to fifty-two five-point or maybe even a four-point spread. But that's still a pretty big popular spread when you're aggregating all the votes for 434 uh, – 400, in, in 435 uh, House races around the country, isn't it? It is. Obviously, that popular vote spread – didn't translate into the sort of wins that were anticipated, including by me. But there are other dynamics at play. Uh, And certainly this is not to absolve the Republican Party, but there are other dynamics at play that have nothing to do with MAGA uh, or Trump that just have to do with what uh, the landscape provides. So, for example, we're in the first year of a new map and outside of new york state where you had a court intercession that actually provided for pickups on long island congressional house pickups uh, including the defeat of the d triple c chairman sean patrick maloney uh, a lot of other states had their the left's cartographers protecting incumbents in a remap year and that's exactly what happened i mean at the statewide level Right now, there is only one incumbent governor or senator who lost. One. And that would be Sisolak in Nevada against uh, Joe Lombardo, the sheriff. One incumbent lost. And the the country spoke with one voice about these insurrectionist semi-fascists that Chuck Schumer is describing? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. What I said before... Last week when we were doing some analysis on what happened, sort of bearing out to be more and more accurate. Yeah, there was a a lack of turnout from Republicans and swing voters for Republicans. Independence splitting evenly among Republicans and Democrats, that was unanticipated. Figured independence would swing against the party in power, including in blue states. That really didn't happen. Certainly didn't happen in Illinois. But there's something else at play here too. blue getting bluer, red getting redder. I mean, the roughly five and a half million vote advantage nationally that Republicans enjoyed. Think about it. Two and a half million of that spread. I mean, this is, you know, sort of extrapolating because it's not from House races. It's from the governors, but it gives you an order of magnitude. Two and a half million of that spread is DeSantis and DeWine. Two states. I mean, if you look at Florida, the governor's races, Florida, Texas, Ohio, Tennessee. If you look at you know four four or five uh, Dem uh, four or five uh, red states, you're going to see where most of that uh, popular vote advantage resides. And so you saw the same in blue states. It was rally around the flag. So what you have is blue states getting bluer, red states getting redder. So even if there is a bit of a revolt that happens in a blue or a red state, the margin for error has increased at the statewide level because blue blue is getting bluer and red is getting redder. But uh, I digress. I just wanted to address the Chuck Schumer characterization, which, of course, is being dutifully rinsed and repeated by all of the assembled parties on the left. But the other matter, new leadership, new, new attitude, new policy agenda for the Republican Party, well, there are some. Openly calling for it, Josh Hawley literally said, the old party is dead. We need a new party. Um, I'm not sure that I'm particularly com- uh, animated by his uh, his tweet. He, the old party is dead. Time to bury it. Build something new. So what's new? Uh, how about to start tougher tariffs on China, reshore American jobs, open up energy full throttle, 100,000 new cops on the street, unrig the system? I don't know. That doesn't sound very new to me, actually. Ron Johnson, the reelected senator from Wisconsin, was on with uh, Maria Bartiroma over the weekend, and he at least wants to push back this leadership vote that Mitch McConnell is pushing for for Wednesday of this week. Of course, let's hurry up and get this done before we have time to uh, for people to start asking uncomfortable questions or considering alternatives. Ron Johnson wants to push that leadership vote off a month. Here's why.
10: Well, I hope not, and I agree with Stephen Miller, it would be preposterous to hold elections before we even know that we have a senator from Georgia or who our senator from last is going to be. Plus, I agree with Rick Scott, you know, we need to do a real assessment of of what went wrong. You know, the last two years we had, as you put up on a graphic there, we had a number of our colleagues join Democrats. Uh, spending like uh, drunken sailors. Uh, I heard repeatedly when they joined in, the for example, the infrastructure spending bill, rather than repurpose $700 billion from the COVID relief uh, and apply that to our uh, infrastructure inside the conferences, well, infrastructure spending is so popular, let, let's spend more than a trillion. Uh, that obviously was not a winning message or, or a winning agenda. That was a losing message, a losing agenda, and we need to discuss that internally, we need to have thorough discussions internally. And as I talked to my colleagues before I left town, if I survived re-election, we need a different governing model for our conference that's far more collaborative, that is more business-like. Uh, that's another thing that I liked to, what Rick talked about. You know, as a business person, you come into the dysfunction that not there's is, is not only Washington D.C. and Congress, but our conference. I mean, we, we don't discuss numbers. We don't have an organized uh, format for laying out, uh, you know, how we should uh, come down, you know, how we should set agenda on some of these major issues. Yeah. So we need serious discussions. We can't have those in a couple of days. That's going to take about a month. And I think Democrats are smart in terms of delaying their elections till I think the first week in December. We ought to follow suit. Mm-hmm.
0: One other issue, just to get it out of the way, that's being repeated. By all the trained SEALs, both sides, because it serves their interests, some on the Republican side, too. Candidate quality, just bad candidates. Um, Yeah, I mean, there were some, either some candidates that uh, could have been better. There were choices in the primary that were made in some states that I would have made differently. But really, candidate quality. John Fetterman was a superior candidate. That's why he won. R- Does anyone believe that? Or does uh, do people believe that Pennsylvania Democrats have decided they would vote for a turnip over a Republican? Do we understand, at least for the time being, that Pennsylvania is a blue state? Katie Hobbs, that's a good candidate? Really? Somebody who didn't have the gumption to debate her opponent, to stand and deliver? And by the way, even when she was by herself – with on friendly cable news talk shows with friendly hosts. Were you impressed? Did you say, Wow, that is somebody who's really sharp. I mean you want to talk about like a Westmore in Maryland, the Democrat the newly elected Democrat governor, say, okay, you know, that's a pretty good candidate even though he's sort of doing an Obama two point uh pantomime, if you will. But but that that's you know, that's guy a guy who's got a resume and you know, some questions about his resume to some extent, but he's got a resume. He's sharp. He's energetic. Uh, Katie Hobbs, J- John Fetterman. Oh, how about Beto and Stacey Abrams? O oh, for 3 and O oh, for 2. These were cause celebs for the left. Nobody on the left is saying bad candidates, Beto and Stacey Abrams. So, yeah, candidate quality matters. I'm not dismissing it. Of course, you want candidates that are competent and accomplished and quick on their feet and good fundraisers. But there are other factors at play, too. Everybody wants to just pick the variable that they like the most in service of their interests rather than doing the sort of larger analysis that contemplates all the dynamics. Like for example, in Arizona, how Blake Masters got outspent about six to one, about seventy million to twelve million. You know, at a certain threshold, they're diminishing marginal returns to money. But when you're getting outspent five, six, eight, ten to one, that matters. <laughs> it's impactful. It can push your message to the margins. It can also, when you have that money up front. Uh, your opponent can do a good job defining you before you get to define yourself coming out of a primary, which happened in some of these races, including in Illinois. So I think it's a little bit more complicated equation than a lot of these pundits and uh, and particularly the establishment types want to make it. And I think the Ron Johnson pumping the brakes there and saying let's have a, a deeper dive on this and let's also look back at the choices we made uh, some of those in the Republican caucus made and what they were supposed to deliver versus what they actually deliver. If we throw in with Democrats and infrastructure, which just means, you know, backdoor Green New Deal, silly spend, then uh, the electorate will see how constructive we are and we'll bring home the bacon for our states and everything will be great. And is that really what it turned on? No, of course not. Does do elections Ever turn on infrastructure spending at the statewide level or as a party brand? Come on. That's just the patina that's put forward to cover their appeal for a very, very sort of low down appeal to special interests, paying off people that will turn around and financially underwrite them. And that's what Ron Johnson is getting at, and he's right to get at it. Nick, northwest side. Hey, Nick, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Nick. Nick, going once, going twice.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I'm sorry, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Nick.
0: <laughs> Go ahead.
5: Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering a comparison of Florida and maybe even Texas. When- how many problems do they have of uh, people coming around uh, to vote and their, their ballots laid to the side in heavy Republican areas because there's something wrong. We, we don't know what it is, and we're going to get to it later, but don't worry, we'll take care of these things for you. And of course, the average person ought not to be hanging around for two, three, four hours watching to see what's uh, going to happen. And, and all these mail-in ballots, I said that before the election, that this thing doesn't seem to... Uh, be getting under control in any way. Not that there won't be occasionally some uh, something sneaky going on, but uh, the the uh, reaction though to all this that uh, has been predicted by some people that if the Democrats uh, win and the Republicans don't win, uh, the reaction will be when all these Democrat policies giving everything away to everybody, but the average working person is going to be up against a financial wall can't afford to keep up with all this stuff. That's eventually in slow motion where the reaction will be against this. It won't be a big revolution, you know, nothing like that. Uh, But but there won't be a reaction, but it just will be slow motion. And you got a great show. I love listening to you. You know what's going on. Keep doing
0: it. Thanks for the call, Nick. Well, I mean, this is the argument that Joel Kotkin is making. This is uh, the reckoning delayed by two years. Perhaps, one can hope, but there's going to have to be some soul-searching and some substantive action taken by Republican leadership at the at the, the federal and state level if uh, that prediction from Joel Cochran is going to come true in 2024. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect
1: with Dan and Amy on the AM560 The Answer mobile app. Just text the word APP to 64636 to download the app today. Only the biggest stories. Only the biggest guests. And only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy's off, so it's me flying solo today. We were talking before Mike Scott's newscast about uh, the reflection and representation the national GOP needs to do. Uh... It's a lot more complicated than the Illinois GOP in the sense that, you know, at the national level, you still have basically an even split of governors. You're going to have a split Congress uh, with Republicans narrowly in control of the House. You saw Republicans win the popular vote nationally. You saw Republicans increased their vote of the the percentage of the Latino vote so continued progress there. You saw Republicans win every age cohort under the age of 30. So, you know, it's not a barren landscape on which the national Republican Party is operating. Uh Illinois, that's a different story. Not completely a barren landscape, but in northeastern Illinois it's coming pretty darn close, isn't it? Since World War II, let me give you some perspective. There have been 78 caucuses in the Illinois General Assembly. In both chambers. There have been eight occasions, eight, in which a caucus has represented less than 40% of the available seats in a chamber. Eight times that's happened since World War II. Five of the eight times? have been under the current House Republican super minority leader, Jim Durkin. Does that start to give you a perspective on the slide toward oblivion that has been going on and continues? Eight times a caucus has had less than 40% of the available seats in a chamber, five of those eight times under the last decade under Jim Durkin. Now, despite the fact that I find him a coward, cowardly, feckless and thus ineffectual leader in quotation marks, it's not all his fault. Maps make it difficult. Other dynamics make it difficult. But it's been difficult for a long time, and Republicans have tried to paper over the difficulty. Quality of candidates? How long has that been a, a case, the case in Illinois? How long have statewide candidates being, been get been getting blown out in Illinois? In the last two decades, you know, it's funny. People have short memories. Jim Durkin, he ran for Senate in 2002 against Dick Durbin. People remember that. You know, the prototypical suburban Republican that can win the suburbs and challenge at the statewide level. That's what we're told. That's what we continue to be told because we're stuck in a mentality. That pretends Illinois is somehow uh, never left the 1990s. It did. In 2002, Jim Durkin lost to Dick Durbin 60-40. Did that tell you anything? Did the super minority status over the last decade tell you anything? So now we're at the lowest percentage. The lowest percentage. Of caucus representation in state history. 39 seats out of 118 in the House. That represents 33%. 39 and 118. The lowest in state history. And who's in charge? Conservative reformers? No. When have conservative reformers been in charge? I don't know. They haven't been. I can't remember. But you want to do what? What is it you think motivates people? And to some extent, I don't know. And part of the deep dive after this election cycle is to find those who, for example, in the suburbs voted against Amendment One, voted against the public sector unions, but voted for Pritzker or skipped the governor's race, voted for a Democrat candidate for Congress or skipped the congressional race in the suburbs, congressional races, whichever district, because they're out there. Or the Trump voters. 16 and 20 for Trump, both north of I-80 and south of I-80, who didn't show up last Tuesday? What is it they want? What do you want? That's what I want to find out. I have, you know, theories, but I'd like to hear from them. And if uh, you are one of them or you know one of them, I'd like to hear from you. 312-642-5600, line 64636DA, text line. There's a uh, leadership battle going on in the Illinois State House for the super minority leader. Who wants to take over the smallest caucus in Illinois state history? Well, two people have raised their hands. Tony McCombie is a western Illinois legislator. Marty McLaughlin is a uh, legislator from Barrington. McCumbie is being backed by Durkin. She would serve as Durkin 2.0, the way Durkin served as Tom Cross 2.0. How'd that go? Oh, right. The lowest, the smallest caucus in Illinois state history. Mm-hmm. Where are we in the suburbs? 40 state House seats in the suburbs, Chicagoland suburbs. There's 40 state rep seats. Republicans control eight of them. There are Republicans in eight out of 40, 20%. If you think 20% representation or 25 or 30 as it was previously in the suburbs is good enough to win statewide elections, then you're deluding yourself as we've been deluding ourselves, pretending somehow these races were starting at, uh, you know, we're starting even. And if you think what we should do. What so many of these suburban Republicans have been doing for the last many cycles as they, their caucus continued to shrink is just worry about doing whatever and saying whatever we need to do to uh, uh, work with the Democrats, to adopt their positions, to vote for their bills, to protect one person's little fiefdom or to watch that person protect, attempt to protect their fiefdom by throwing in with the other side. On core issues, if you think that's the approach, well, then here's the result, because that's what we've been doing. Haven't we? Just think of the last eight years. We don't pass an increase in the income tax under Rahner without House Republicans and one Senate Republican. The gas tax that Pritzker passed, you had Republicans cross over to vote for the gas tax, and that was a structured vote. A deal that would Durkin cut. we we'll put all these members on so we can do it together. Yes, let's do terrible public policy together. In order to get what? In order for a few of those people in charge to protect themselves from one of the constituent partners of the Democrat Socialists? If I do this, then maybe the, the trade unions will back off me. Is that how you do public policy? Is that how you set forward an agenda, policy agenda? Eight out of 40 in the suburbs. 39 of 118 overall. Smallest caucus either party ever. More of the same? Well, if that's what people want to choose, and if that's what the Republican Party wants to choose, then Godspeed. Because 39 and 8 next cycle i don't know i look around at those 8 legislative seats maybe 2 would survive another election cycle like this one with no republican turnout and that and that's if there's real money involved to push people off of the democrat socialists the way that we were able to do this cycle nearly 400,000 fewer votes for pritzker in 2022 versus 2018 so is that the way you want to play it surrender your way to a majority is that is that how you think it works well that's been tried for 20 years and here we are you know and for those who say oh you know you're just uh cursing the people you disagree with and so on and so forth well you know let me tell you something they haven't made many overtures to conservative reformers either so that runs both directions and we have actually made Overtures to them. We threw in with Rahner. In fact, I dug up this op-ed I wrote for the Tribune in December of 2014. December of 2014. Here's how Rahner can bring Illinois back from ruination. Simple sort of first principles and some specific policies that flow from these principles. I tweeted it out. You can check it out at Prof. I won't indulge myself to read my words from eight years ago, but it was constructive. There's nothing particularly revolutionary about anything I had to say. It's just sort of common sense stuff. Keep the promises you make. Don't make promises you know you can't keep. Well, a runner promised that he'd have no social agenda, and he signed a law to provide abortion on demand all nine months taxpayer funded. He promised to get the state income tax back to 3%. Instead, it went up to 4.95%. That doesn't work. Not to mention sanctuary state and so much else. Stop funding government preying on your constituents. Stop pretending we can fund core operations of government or should even try with sin taxes and gambling and drug legalization for god's sake oh well you know i want to go where the zeitgeist is i want to get you know my pennies on their dollars and somehow that's going to work out any where's the republican plan on the affordability of college education here on land grant universities like the university of illinois keeping their commitment to serve the families in this state The way that other state universities serve the families in their states, with eighty percent plus of their undergrads coming from in state. And indexing tuition to the median in the Big Ten rather than being the second highest tuition in the Big Ten. For example, just one example. Expanding the opportunity to the tax credit scholarships, the opportunity scholarships in K through twelve that have built a constituency over the last four years. But it needs to be so massively scaled relentlessly pushing this idea, even if you can't, because you know you can't pass it through the General Assembly with super, super majorities. But you have to articulate the positions, what you would do if you were put in charge. Instead, we have run elections for decades, and I've decried this for a long time, that we're not Mike Madigan, and that was going to be good enough. And then some say, well, I'm not Mike Madigan and I'm not Trump. Oh, I'm not Mike Madigan and I'm not Pritzker. Who are you? I know who you're not or who you say you're not. Who are you? Why are you here? What do you want to do? That's what I think people don't know. Now, this time we had the Safety Act. And we still do because it's pending in a Kankakee Circuit Court and it's pending its uh, take effect date of Jan 1. And that is a good referendum question. And that does make it clear on that particular issue of personal safety, where Republicans are, which is on the side of providing uh, recompense to victims, justice to victims, and protecting law by the, as many of the law-abiding as they can from becoming victims, whereas the left is pro-lawlessness. The left is, by that, the Safety Act, as one prosecutor told me, is more interested in writing laws to protect gangbangers, which is what they did. That's pretty clear. That's a bright line. That's a start. But it's only a start. So you want to do I mean, this is the, the Republican Party's choice. You want to continue to put new people forward every decade that are just facsimiles of the previous people in terms of approach, and, frankly, skill sets, capacity, go ahead. You'll have no chance other than to further shrink your caucus. And it can shrink further still. I'm sure many people didn't think, oh, over the course of the last decade, next decade, we'll go from 45, 46, 47, 49 to 39. It happened, and you think that uh, the rest of the suburbs won't fall and the margins won't continue to increase? Why? Why wouldn't they? Especially in the suburbs, you know. There's that old saying about keeping up with the Joneses in the suburbs. All cliches are true. You don't think there's a mob mentality in the suburbs? Go where it's cool. Do what's all current. That's vote for Democrat socialists. And who has? Tried to draw a line and stand that line in the suburbs? Eight out of 40, not going to (laughs) fly. Not going to fly if you want this state to be a place where you may be staying, where your kids are staying, or anybody else from outside is coming. We'll see. Tim in Plainfield, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
3: Hi, Dan. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is we are out here, but the reality is it, it doesn't really matter. The state is completely cooked. You said it the other day, you know, 51% with amendment one passing, it shows you at least 51% or plus our state employees are tied basically to government dependency. And that's what that's the case in the suburbs too. They're teachers, they're administrators, they're state employees. I'm in private industry, and I can tell you right now it doesn't matter. All of the who's who's that, that matter have left, and they're not coming back. And there really is no turnaround. It's like a business that's completely insolvent. It has to completely bottom out and crash before there's any turnaround.
5: And
0: maybe. Amendment
3: 1 proves that.
0: Thanks for the call, Maybe, maybe, I mean, well, not maybe. Clearly it has to get worse. Yeah, I mean, the question that I asked through my ads at the outside of the general election campaign, how much worse does it have to get with these people in charge? Pritzker, Lightfoot, et cetera. How much worse does it have to get? The answer was worse. But the other side of that coin is the Republican Party has to get better. Unfortunately, it has to get worse. But it doesn't get better unless the Republican Party gets better. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer.
3: Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. An AM
1: 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson. An AM 560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Amy off today, so it's just me. You know, I uh, stood on a dais with... uh, Where's it dais? Potato, potato. With Adam Kinzinger when he first ran for Congress. I thought uh, that this was going to be a... uh, Turning of the page, part of the turning of the page in Illinois, and a new generation of conservative reform leadership. Boy, was I wrong about that. Here's what uh, former Republican. Now he's some sort of like half-ass, no labels guy, pretending that he's uh, he still retains some of the what fiscal policies of conservatism. He doesn't. So interesting to watch him and Liz Cheney. Once you become a quisling. It's across the board. It's not limited. Liz Cheney running around the country endorsing Democrats for Congress, to my point. And all with the, oh, but, but, but because this is trying to excise Trump from the party. Uh-huh. Joe Kent was a Republican candidate for Congress in Washington. He had narrowly lost his race. Joe Kent uh, was, I believe, Green Beret. He lost his wife to a suicide bomber. He's raising his sons alone. And this is what Adam Kin- Kinzinger tweeted at him about his loss: "Losing sucks. I'm sure. I've never lost, but I'm sure it does. Loser. White supremacy doesn't just win doesn't just doesn't win races like it did in 1921. Enjoy never being in Congress." Mm hmm. Rachel Bovard. I saw this. Uh, she tweeted it. And her comment is Adam Kinzinger is a weak, tiny little man. Yeah, he's getting weaker and tinier with each passing moment, isn't he? So if the uh, play is to throw in with these never Trumper loons, tools of the left, useful idiots of the left is a better description. Then uh, I'll pass. But I don't think that's the lesson that's coming out of these midterms. For more on the topic and others, i pleased to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano, Vice President of the Catherine and Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for International Studies at the Heritage Foundation and author of Brutal War, Jungle Fighting in Papua New Guinea, 1942. Jim, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.
11: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting topic that you, you raised this morning because just the other day I was talking to a very dear old friend who is a, a congressman, uh, for many years in washington dc and and i asked him i said look i have a i have a i have a theory or but a view and, and you've been in congress i want to share this with you you tell me if i'm just if i don't know what i'm talking about because i've been here for 20 years and I've, I've never been a member of congress but i've watched them come and go right and and my my assessment is all has always been that people that come to washington and know who they are they they stay that person and even the ones that I don't always agree with you know like you know Josh Hawley or or uh, um or, or or Rand Paul we have our differences i admire them because they know who they are and they stay true to that other people who come to washington because they want to come to washington they morph into whatever the town wants and i i think the, the people that you just talked about are perfect examples of that and when I asked this congressman, I said, is that a fair assessment? He looked at me and he said, I have never heard truer words.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, just because you served in the military, even honorably, that's not a pass for everything you do for the rest of your life. So that goes for Joe Kent as well as it goes for Adam Kinsinger. But the attitude exhibited by Kinzinger and Cheney and some others, not to mention the, you know, the haughtiness of the entire Democrat socialist left. Is just intolerable, particularly when we're then uh, compelled, according to them, to listen to moralizing about uh, all the wonders they're doing to unite uh, the, the country in these divisive times.
11: Yeah, so you know, in the, we had a thing for the St. Felix military, and it was framed by a classic 1960s novel called *Once and Eagle*, there are these two uh, characters whose military careers intertwine from. Um, from when they joined the military up through when they were senior officers. And, and one one was the selfless servant, the person who always put the nation first. And the other was this the self-serving person who always put themselves in their career first. Uh, and and that, I think that's the distinction between the people that we want to lead us and, and these people who want to be powerful, they want to be right, they want to be rich, um, they want to be liked, they want to go to the cocktail parties. They put all of that personal comfort ahead of the nation you know here's my you know and, and as you know i do policy i don't do politics but but i live you know policy gets done on the skimmy boiling top of this cauldron of politics so right. i have to watch this so my observation is look um you know i think we are a 50 50 nation and in a decade we will be a center right nation or a center left nation and it's getting fought out in these campaigns and i think what what, we, what conservatives sh- I should have learned in this is there is a, a, a different – because they looked at the, the wildly unpopular policies in this administration, and they assumed that independents uh, and uh, disaffected Democrats would break their way. And, and by and large, they didn't. And I think the answer for that is, is it's not just enough to say that you have the right policies. You have to give people trust and confidence in your leadership. And, and that's not a knock on anybody who's running for Congress and lost. But it's just a statement that that if you want to pull people to your side, you you you've got to give them a a bigger, better sell.
0: You didn't and, make the sale. You need to make the sale. Right. That's fair. Yeah,
11: and the and the reason why I you know I pointed to DeSantis is you know if you put DeSantis and a dozen candidates who lost on a stage together, their talking points would be virtually identical on on virtually every issue. What was the difference? Ron DeSantis was a governor. For, for years through very very difficult times and he delivered for his state so you could not look at Ron DeSantis and say well how can I, how can I think that you're going to do any better than the other guy you know why should I switch my vote for you because because DeSantis delivered and so I think if, if you want to win over Americans it is both having the right policies and I personally I think we ought to sharpen our policy differences you know people say well you know, we, you know oh, obviously you know abortion is controversial issue so we need to walk away from it no. I mean, this is a party that believes in life. You cannot walk away from a core issue of the party. You need to sharpen the policy differences. And you need to build trust and confidence in people. And that means you have got to go to places where people have not gone before. Whether And in, I think every demographic in America is up for grabs. I think that young Americans are up for grabs. I think that unmarried women are up for grabs. I think African-American votes up for grabs. Hispanic votes up for grabs. But you have to go there and be there. Actually, I just heard a terrific congressman from uh, um, uh, Florida talk about this the other day. He goes, "If you, you know, the first step is showing up," and and I think that is definitely something that conservatives have to do a lot more of. And so, uh, you know, my mind is, look, dude, you, you know, I, I I often say this. Can we talk about these issues on the military stuff and other things? You know, I say there are no do overs in foreign policy, right? Well, there's no do overs in anything, right? The, the results are, are the results that we have. And if you want to win this country, you have to start looking at, at the next, your next opportunity.
0: Uh, speaking of next opportunities, border security, that uh, still needs to be on the table as one of the issues that's discussed and the impact of the lawlessness at the border uh, uh, reported and distributed. And so we find now New York City reporting that um, the influx of migrants – it was costing the city $600 million a year. Well, you chose to be a sanctuary city, so that's too bad, so sad. Uh, and uh, we have this against the backdrop of the Customs and Border Protection head being forced out, uh, uh, Magnus. But 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 that seems to me like uh, just putting a head on a spike to pretend that they're serious about the border rather than any sort of indication there's going to be a change in policy. Is that fair?
11: Yeah, well, I don't think his firing had anything to do with changing border policy or trying to pin him for the failure of the border policy. This was internal departmental politics that that resulted in this. It um, doesn't say anything about their agenda. This is, to me, one of the more disappointing issues that people did not break decisively uh, on this issue, which is hurting Americans as much more than anything. Um, I still raise my great fear, which is the Democrats turning to Republicans and saying, oh, okay. So we all know we have to put this issue behind us. So here's the deal. Right. You know, we'll promise we'll go back to sane border policies and you just give us amnesty for the twenty million people we're gonna let in. Right. And that's that's that that is another issue where I think you have to clarify clarify policy differences between we, we have an open borders pod, policy and we have a, a party that believes in enforcing the rule of law, immigration law, and securing the border. Um, as soon as you start to 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 blur that difference. Then, then just put a gun to your head. Uh, well,
0: sure. I mean, and this and that—that sort of overture. I mean, you, you'd have to be born yesterday to believe that. I mean, this is akin to the the tax increase now, and then we'll curb spending uh, after. Right. And of course, the spending exactly. curbs never come, just like the border security has never come. I, I think uh, Reagan's 1986 uh, uh, reform, both on taxes and immigration, um, right, right. Spoke, spoke to spoke to that reality. So, yeah. if if Republicans fall for that if they would fall for that in the house, then they might as well just uh, turn the gavel right back over to Nancy Pelosi. Um, yeah, I wanted. I mean, if... go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead,
11: sir. No, no, I was just saying. look, I mean, it, this is a center, right. This is a, that's going to get pulled one way or another. W- one party is going to have to change. Um, and the party that changes could well fall apart if they don't stick, you know, to the core policy, you know, the core principles and policies for which they argue for, um, I think the you know the greatest disservice that conservatives can do is if they if they abandon the core of their principles because they think that will help with electability. It's going to do exactly the opposite.
0: I want to get your take because we haven't talked in a in a bit on this piece from a couple of weeks back in uh, the Intercept. I mean, this didn't get the play it deserves because of the midterms, of course. But this piece by The Intercept that revealed a, a what they describe as an expansive effort by DHS to curb speech it considers dangerous uh, by right. working with, pressuring, however you want to describe it, big tech. And so, I mean, we knew this was the disinformation governance board gambit and, and other things, but this provides a level of detail about the DHS's, commi- at least in this administration, commitment to – weaponize the uh, law enforcement and intelligence uh, departments in the state to censor speech and to just use the big tech companies as their front to get around people's first amendment rights. This seems to me a much more serious issue than it's being treated as in the general public.
11: Well, I I would agree with that. I, I don't think there's any question that this administration has used the Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security as political weapons I just think that's factually demonstrably true. Uh, and, uh, and, and and you know, for me, for somebody that's worked with the Department of Homeland Security since its inception, that's been on the Homeland Security Advisory Council for three different secretaries of Homeland Security, both Democrat and Republican, um, when people didn't want to form this department, this was exactly the arguments that they made, is that it would be a monstrous element of power that would be completely abused. You know my counter argument was okay we have real issues to do here just like the department of justice we have to fight criminals we have to keep america safe the the, the lesson you know i know i've said this on the show before you cannot create government that is people proof um if your argument is you know don't do that because people abuse that power the answer is yeah and the, and the right answer is put smart people in government now i this is why we have limited government because government can be abused and we should have the minimum government we need i, I absolutely believe that but you know for example today we even today we have a real transnational terrorist threat. some terrorist is going to walk across the southern border and kill a bunch of people and it's going to be you know it's going to be the government's fault because they let them do it but um it's all about who you put in power limited government and electing smart people that's what guarantees your freedom and security uh, and we learned that lesson again This is this is a horrific abuse of, of the power of government And it's all because of the people in charge
0: He is Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano of the Heritage Foundation Jim, thanks as always, appreciate it
11: Alright, great way to start my Monday, thank you friend
0: Yes sir, yes, sir. thank you for joining us And you join us on the turnkey.pro answer line
1: You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer With Dan Proff and Amy Jacobson On AM 560, The Answer If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy's uh, off today, so I'm flying solo. This uh, story of the meltdown of FTX. Crypto trading platform and uh, the and, and the disgraced founder of it, Sam Bankman-Fried, who we're finding out more and more about with each passing day, including where he directed his tens of millions of dollars in political donations. That would be to Biden and the Democrats. But certainly, those some of those who are in the industry had. Uh, expressed a healthy level of skepticism about FTX and SBF. One of those, Mark Cahotis, is a veteran short seller. He was on a show called Hedge Eye, which is run by a guy who does market research for hedge funds, talking about SBF and FTX a month ago. So before it all came crashing down. And uh, here's what he had to say. Pretty entertaining. Who the f*** has mentored
12: SBF? Where did he come from? He was a washout from Jane Street. When anyone tries to pin SBF down on where he made his money, you can't get a cogent answer. You needed real money up front in the place on this country crypto arbitrage to make big money. No one in their right mind would ever give you the money. So who (laughs) funded this trade for you?
0: And, you know, get to to his point, here's an interview of Sam Bankman Freed uh, where he's asked about the financing. Where where did all this money come from? And listen to his answer to Cohodes's point.
1: Normally when people start companies, they get venture capital money yep. and those venture capitalists own a piece of it. Did you get venture capital money?
0: I did Not for Alameda. And what we ended up doing was basically cobbling
9: together lines of credit and, and other things from various sources trying to sort of – snowball
0: and be able to, to, to build on ourselves. Lines of three lines of credit and various other things. Going back to speak and his reaction to answers like that.
12: You can't get a real answer. And his partner is a guy named Gary Wang and no one can find sh- on Gary Wang. You look up Sequoia stuff. There's a picture of Gary Wang of his back facing a computer
10: Gary Wang is the same CTO or the chief technology officer of FTX? Allegedly. They hired a chief regulatory officer who
12: was part of a card cheating scandal, and his name is Dan Friedberg. And if you hit up Dan Friedberg's LinkedIn, there's no mention of his time at, a, at the poker site. To be head of regulatory at FTX and have this in your past and cover it up, who the f*** runs FTX? You've got a guy who sleeps on a futon in the Bahamas, whose chief regulatory officer has his hands all over a poker cheating scandal. He met his partner at a summer math camp in Canada. Wang, who the f*** are you? None of these people could run a lemonade stand, let alone an exchange. The fact that his, his dad's involved in law or teaching at Stanford Law I think is more ground cover for what I really think is going on. here. What has SBF done? He hasn't done in his life. He can't explain what he's done. And he puts up billboards of himself. He's the number two donor to the Democratic Party. This is a 30-year-old living in the Bahamas operating offshore. Why? What's your cause? And on the other side, you have Tom Brady and Giselle doing their ads. Everything reads like this thing is a complete scam.
0: And uh, now we find the, uh, the the allegations of commingling of customer funds between FTX, the platform, and Alameda Research. And who's over at Alameda Research? A 28-year-old who, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, main CEO, named Caroline Ellison. And now, you know, I'm sure she's a smart person, just like SBF. She got a degree in mathematics from Stanford, but she's 28 years old. She's running $20 billion. And she's posting things like this online.
2: Yeah, absolutely could pull it off without my math degree. (laughs) Use very little math. Um, Use a lot of like uh, elementary school math. Being comfortable with risk is very important. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We tend not to have things like stop losses. I think those aren't necessarily a great risk management tool. Trying to think of a good example of a trade where I've lost a ton of money. Um, Well, I don't know. I probably don't want to go into specifics too much with that. I love
0: that. That The person who posted that clip attached the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm theme music to the end, which is pitch perfect. Um, Hollis Robbins, who's an academic. uh, For those who want to uh, enjoy a fictional representation of what FTX sounds like, she says, try Augustus Melmott from... Anthony Trollope's uh, The Way We Live Now, and it's a it's perfect. I would have thought immediately Harold, Harold Hill from The Music Man. But uh, Mel Mott from The Way We Live Now, 19th century Victorian-era novel uh, about a guy who has a fictional railway that he wants to build from Salt Lake to I think it was Juarez or somewhere in Mexico. I'm you know a little vague on the details. It's been a while. and um, And it's a total scam. And so you got a railway fiction, a railway, phony railway in fiction in the 19th century, and you got magic money in nonfiction in the 21st century. Just a reminder that human nature doesn't change. For more on all of this, uh, to try to help us distill it further, pleased to be joined by our friend Jonathan Honig. He, of course, is the capitalist pig. Speaking of hedge funds, founding member of the Capitalist Big Hedge Fund, Fox News contributor, author of A New Textbook of Americanism, The Politics of Ayn Rand. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
13: Dan, well, this is this is an absolute catastrophe, and there's so many angles of it. You, you've touched on a few of them. The the political angle certainly, SBF was a, a, if not the major Democratic donor, very closely involved in shaping regulation for his own industry. So much of what we've now discovered, as you said, is was completely based on fraud and falsehoods. There's also a real terrible economic loss here. I mean, Dan, this this isn't just SBF who lost uh, billions of dollars of phony money. You've got Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of individual investors, small people who had, you know, a few hundred, a couple thousand, maybe $10,000 locked up and now in effect gone, not just on this FTX platform, but in some of these, what they call, I don't know, you can't say the word but maybe you could say shite coins these kind of meaningless funny coins that the fdx was populating and and promoting out there people have lost a lot of money and dan at one of the worst times economically that this country has had in decades so this is a terrible this is fraud and it's a terrible travesty on so many american investors
0: well i mean and you know um the that uh, short seller uh mentioned sequoia so sequoia which is a huge uh venture capital fund um, supposedly had to write down 250 million dollars in losses um, based on what Cohodes was saying. How does a, a group as sophisticated Sequoia not see this um, this operation w- for yeah. for what it was? I mean, the, you, you know, now people are raising the issues of governance and so on and so forth. But I mean, if you just look at the senior personnel, you have to say, wait, this is where I want to park my money
13: i don't want to be macabre dan but it's almost like saying how did jim jones get all those people in Jonestown to drink the kool-aid yeah. i mean I, I again i don't want to be dark but this to me is a perfect example of very sophisticated investors as you said i mean these were the biggest names of the big names who invested with ftx simply in my opinion now drinking the kool-aid and not doing their due diligence and hats off to Codes and Kind of other very smart people who smelled something fishy here the the, the stars simply didn't line up as he said i mean operating out of the bahamas really no experience no clear disclosure and what this ultimately looks like dan is is malfeasance i mean from what we've read this s b f basically transferred customer funds money that he had promised that he would protect keep separate from his own operation his own trading and he had in effect traded that to his own uh, uh capital for his own uh, investments in trading and if you look historically, Dan, you might remember John Corzine from New Jersey. Oh, yeah,
0: right. GF, GF uh, uh, what was MF it? MF Global, right? MF it Global, major... MF Global, yeah. Right, yeah. he
13: was pointed of it, Again, a, very, a big Democrat, we'll just put that out there, yeah. basically bankrupted a very storied Chicago investment and trading firm, MF Global, now going back a couple of decades. So this is good old-fashioned malfeasance, as you said, nothing new. It's the technology, it's new, a technology that – only stands on faith, Dan. I mean, there's nothing backing any of these so called cryptocurrencies. So this was a, a bank run for the ages and still is playing out across many markets worldwide as we well,
0: speak. Well, and, and right. And, and also, I mean, at least the, some of the reporting I saw, there's something like a billion, billion seven that's unaccounted for in terms of transfers from. Uh, ftx to alameda research and also the self-dealing that was going on there which allegedly is trig- triggering doj and sec investigations but you know we'll see how aggressive the doj and the sec is with a, a favored dem donor
13: yeah i mean that, as you said there's such a, a political impact here as well but you know dan this, The irony is that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was promoted as what? The safe private alternative, you know, it belongs to you. It's on the blockchain. So, you know, this is a real wake up call for what had been, you know, for For better or worse, there's a lot of strong opinions on cryptocurrency, but, you know, really one of the most promising technologies. I can only remember this as being very similar to that dot-com era. You know, Dan, back then, as you remember, people were backing anything. It was at hamburger.com, they were giving billions of dollars of valuation. So so we're seeing this is very much like that era where anyone who had a coin attached to their name was given a billion-dollar, $20 billion valuation. And so much of that has just evaporated, and SPF is the exact example from thirty billion dollars to a negative net worth and effect overnight
0: well, at least he only has to um you know pack up his futon apparently um so uh this is this is this is a perfect commentary on the time too perfect commentary on the time like wait wait writ large in corporate america the e s g zeitgeist environmental social governance led by Fink at, uh, at 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 uh, um, BlackRock, uh, BlackRock. Right. Vivek Ramaswamy tweeting crypto dude, Sam Bankman-Fried's Freed's fraudulent company received a higher ESG score on leadership and governance than did ExxonMobil. I mean, <laughs> that tells you the value of e s g which is you know another thing being bandied about and everybody has to get in line and all these corporate c e o s are signing on the dotted line the importance of e s g and e s g factoring into your governance this this uh whatever this yeah. was that just disappeared overnight higher e s g score than ExxonMobil are you kidding yeah,
13: i mean it- and it makes it that the whole the investing today, Dan, is so difficult. I mean, I've done this for more than twenty years. It's so difficult. I mean, you're not just fighting these government caused economic waves like the highest inflation in decades, but all these social interventions that are you know make it more difficult to you know should you be a is ExxonMobil going to be targeted for being a, a, an oil and gas company? Are companies like FTX or big Democratic donor-related companies, are they going to be favored with favorable regulation? And This is what's so dangerous about having government involved with business, is that you've got a few a very uh, you know, well-heeled folks, like SPF in this case, helping government write the rules that affect us, at the same time they happen to be frauds themselves, and, 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 the, and the government themselves is on the take. So again, a real terrible disaster, and comes at a time when just confidence in the entire system itself is, is just really on the wane. So we always talk about the importance of diversification. And, Dan, the the old saying is true in the markets. There's nothing new under the sun. Do your own due diligence. Importance of diversification, not putting all your eggs in one basket, again, proven true during this terrible FTX uh, implosion that's cost so many investors so much cash.
0: And and in March of this year, I mean, just to continue on, this thing has so many layers. March of this year, uh, headline uh, at Coindesk, Ukraine partners with FTX to launch new crypto donation website. So now you have an additional wrinkle about what uh, Ukrainian oligarchs funneling money to FTX, who then funnels money to Biden and Democrat socialists in the midterms.
13: Yeah, I mean, that was it seemed that they were playing off that altruism, Daniel, you know, playing off that. Oh, we're no, good the, EA, the EA
0: movement. There's another that's right up there with uh, uh, with ESG, the effective yeah. altruism movement
13: we're good people we really just want to give it away and you know even more kind of sadly i think there's the there's a little bit of a cult of personality i mean they were they no recruited question. giselle uh bunchin and tom brady to do what to be investors and to to do promotion spf you remember was putting up huge billboards of himself literally his own photo in major metropolises so there's this just kind of feel good. Don't worry about the numbers. As you said, don't worry about I'm sleeping on the futon and having relationships with people in my company. It's all run out of an apartment in the Bahamas. I mean, uh, this was fishy from the get-go and, and kudos to the short seller who snuffed it out and such a terrible tragedy for the investors who lost so much in the process.
0: All right. Uh, don't put your money with, uh, with, J- with uh, SBF. Put it with jh Jonathan or what, yeah, wait wait, no. wait. jhcp we got to come in we have to have an acronym for you jonathan hone capitalist pig founding member of the capitalist pig hedge fund fox news contributor author of a new textbook for americanism the politics of ayn rand jonathan thanks as always appreciate it
13: great to be with you dan be well
0: you too you join us on the turnkey.pro intro line if you're talking about it dan and amy are talking about it
1: it's chicago's morning answer on am 560 the answer This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Amy's off today, so I'm flying solo. We've started the show today talking about the election results over the weekend in both Arizona and Nevada with, uh, The declaration that Mark Kelly won re-election in Arizona and uh, Casto, uh, uh, why am I forgetting her name, Uh, Masto, uh, Cortez Masto, that is, won re-election in Nevada. And uh, we talked on Friday about, you know, we're sitting here, uh, this protracted vote count inexplicably again in Maricopa County, and... The reporting that we heard, we talked to Brett Bear about it a bit, that uh, the Laxalt folks were a little dicey about the remaining ballots to be counted, where they were coming from and what their chances were. Well, it was starting to look like it was going to be close to bad, and it turned out to be precisely that close but bad. But in Maricopa County, I saw all this scuttlebutt on Friday about the the outstanding 400,000 ballots roughly to be counted. And the suggestion that, well, that's two thirds to 70 percent of Republican primary voters that represents a uh, tens of thousands of Republican voters who brought their mail in ballots to the polling place because they didn't trust it and they wanted to vote in person. And that brings up all sorts of other questions, too. If that's true, why is that cohort you know, last to be counted? Why hasn't it been counted yet? So on and so forth, if you know that much. But ostensibly, this was coming from the counting room where the Republican Party and the late campaign is being represented. But then you had two more uh, vote batch dumps over the weekend. And that one of the first one put Mark Kelly over the top and he and they declared victory. I don't know if Masters has conceded yet, but. And and the two combined sort of moved Carrie Lake around It put her down a little bit more. Now she's down a little bit less, but still twenty six thousand votes with something just going by the reporting, something like ninety thousand votes to count. So she's got to win two to one of the remaining votes. Uh, And there's still people, including Carrie Lake, suggesting that ruby red voters are are yet to be counted and that's going to make the difference. Here's what she said over the weekend. Maria Bartiroma Show.
2: You know, I, I consider someone's vote their voice. I think of it as a sacred vote. And it's being trampled the way we run our elections in Arizona. I've been sounding the alarm for two years. Nothing got done. Very little got done last legislative session. And we need to get in there and restore faith in our elections. We can't be the laughingstock of elections anymore. And what happened on election day forward,
0: according to Lake?
2: 26% of the printers or of the machines, tabulating machines, weren't working. We had a third of our polling places with either machines that were down or printers that had no toner or low toner in them. And then we had people putting their ballot into door three, as they call it, because the machines weren't working. And we found out some of those that were to be counted got mixed with votes that were already counted. It is just, it's embarrassing, it's wrong, and we need people who are competent running our elections. This incompetency or maladministration is outrageous.
0: Uh, it is, assuming that's all accurate, which I'm assuming. And again, though, she said there's still ruby red votes to be counted. Uh, I got to tell you, after watching this play out, I don't know any number of times, dozen times over the last two cycles, anywhere where there's a state a protracted vote count statewide, it seems like the Republican always ends up on the short end, doesn't it? For more on this, specific to Maricopa County in Arizona. We're pleased to be joined by Gina Swoboda. She's a former director in the Elections Department, the Secretary of State's office in Arizona. She's now the executive director of the Voter Reference Foundation, VoterReferenceFoundation.com. We'll get to that as well. Gina, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. So how did we go from we've got, you know, two-thirds or more of the votes outstanding are Republican primary voters, and so Carrie Lake should make up the difference, to now being in a position where— it looks uh, more and more doubtful that she will be able to make up the difference.
9: The path is narrow. Um, and I agree with your assessment that when Republicans get into these extended days of counting, um, we tend not to come out with a victory that said uh, there are 94,000 ballots outstanding in Maricopa, but uh about 8,000 of them are provisional, um, so there are teams on the ground that are knocking on doors of voters who sent in a ballot, and their signature doesn't match, and we're trying to cure those to get those votes in. Um, I do have other buckets. I've got, like, 9,000 in Pinal, which is red, but, you know, then I've got Apache, which is blue, and there are 8,500 there. So um, in Maricopa, Legislative District 3, which is, you know, if you looked at Dave Schweiker's results yesterday, uh, he picked up enough votes to be called a winner. So in his congressional district, in the middle of the most red legislative districts, there's still about 20,000 votes. Um, that said, you know, again, everything's got to line up the right way. The problem is we can't get into this situation to begin with.
0: Well, well, so but, but what transpired between all this? I mean, and maybe it was just uh, a misunderstanding, but I heard all this talk on, on talk radio and saw it on social media about, you know, 400,000 and and two-thirds are Republicans, and then we saw the, the vote batches being dumped, and it didn't seem like that was materializing, and now here we are with, as you say, a narrow path. What what was misunderstood about what was happening uh, going into the weekend?
9: So I, I wouldn't characterize it as a misunderstanding. Um, there were a, a, over 300,000 voters that were red voters that voted in the primary. whose ballots still had not be, been counted uh, on Friday. Uh, and in the next three ballot drops of those results, we saw some of them um, not pull the lever over the top of the ticket. So, I mean, I've got areas that are red, uh, and those are primary voters, and some of them, you know, uh, voted for the other team or didn't vote at all. The the bigger issue... Yeah, I mean, they did it in 2020, and they did it in our primaries, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But on top of that, we have voters who... You know, the plan here for most of our folks was they wanted to vote on Election Day because they don't trust the system. Right. So they went in on Election Day. The printers aren't working. They're being told, you know, trust us, put your ballot in door three. A lot of our folks aren't going to do that. So, you know, they walked out. They went and got their mail ballot that they still had, and they dropped the mail ballot. The problem with that is they were not checked out of that e-call book. Yeah, so that's going to void the mail ballot. The system's going to think you voted when you walked in and scanned your driver's license. Exactly. So, what I'm trying to do now is uh, get the count of how many voters checked in and then also had a mail ballot voided that day. Because I think that a lot of our votes are sitting in you know what's called the void bin in Maricopa County, and the and, uh, legal draft of the letter Yep. well and yep.
0: and 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 that's the result of it is what Carrie Lake you heard Carrie Lake say, I'm sure you've heard before about the the number of machines that weren't working, the toner issue in the in the printers and um and these and and, and ballots that weren't counted being mixed with ballots that were is this is are those all legitimate issues to raise
9: yep. So in at least two vote centers, possibly more, when, you know, all these voters who were told, don't worry, put it in door three, and we will process this later back at Central Count, when they pulled the bin out, they pulled the divider out. And so now the ballots that were tabulated got commingled with the ballots that were not. So we, I mean, you know, issued um, all kinds of <laughs> yeah, questions to Maricopa and what they're doing today, and, and hopefully we'll have some of those results today and some tomorrow um but they're rerunning they backed out the count from those vote centers off the data cards and now they're rerunning every one of those ballots back through to see what the difference is in the votes. but, it, but it, it's just again it's catastrophic failure and so uh, what do we do right so we need transparency we're not going to get it uh, if i don't get governor lake on the ground in arizona so the next thing we can do is we have to clean up the voter rolls i mean our folks have tried to vote in person. Our folks have tried to vote by mail. We are not in Arizona um, going to be able to, you know, stop vote by mail while I, on a personal level, would like everybody to go vote on one day, except those who have a valid reason not to. That's not where we are. And I think this is a national issue. Uh, We saw it since COVID, right? Everybody's going to mail everyone a ballot. So the question is, you know, how do you stop um, votes from coming in from voters that aren't eligible to vote? And the only way to do that is to clean up the voter roll so those ballots don't get
0: mailed out. Well, well, from from your perspective as somebody who is on the inside of the secretary of state's office, I mean, what is the fundamental problem there? Even though Katie Hobbs is the secretary of state, Doug, Doug Ducey was the governor. You have a Republican-controlled state legislature. What, what is the problem with uh, uh, not learning the lesson from 2020 to um, ensure that what's happening right now wouldn't happen?
9: Well, we've got – federal law um the national voter registration act says how often you can clean up the rolls, and then we have the question of will you know does does the election administration have the will to do what is required uh to maintain the system such that people have confidence and transparency and we can have elections and not be a third world country and right now the answer to that question all of those questions is clearly no we have um county election officials band continue to come out every day in their beautiful newly built command center for communications to tell all the voters of maricopa county and the united states who are watching that everything is fine and that these things happen and that this was a great election and we've been listening to this for two years and they quite deliberately did nothing to improve this system so well you know, right and it's it's also like voting.
0: It's also it's also just manifestly obvious. I mean, you know, everybody other than (laughs) one race in Alaska is in except Maricopa County and thereby Arizona. So it's not you know, this is something that at least right now is relatively unique to Maricopa County. So all their you know, that's misinformation. They're interrupting our important work. Like I heard from Bill Gates, the board at the Board of Supervisors. (laughs) That's all nonsense. I mean, you just look around the rest of the country, blue state, red state. Nobody's having this problem except Maricopa.
9: That's right. Well, they refused. You know, on on election night, uh, we went to court. So, you know, um, the National Party of the RNC has been supportive. They went into court. Uh, The campaigns were worried about what was going on. It started almost immediately where we had these issues and all night long, all day long and all night long in 70 locations. The printers are failing and it was absolutely not fixed uh, rapidly. We went to court to ask to keep the polls open, which, you know, we've seen the left do time out of mind. And the argument made, uh, the Democrat Party entered into, uh, you know, the hearing, and the county attorney for Maricopa County said it is ridiculous to expect Maricopa County to be able to contact all of the 200 vote centers and tell them to keep voting. So the fact that they're just telling the judge we are not capable <laughs> of communicating with with our people on the ground.
0: Yeah, that says Maricopa a lot right
9: there. It's too big. It's too big. It's swallowing the state. And at this point, it's swallowing the country. So there has to be an overnight shift added. Florida can do it. You have to have the will to do it. Um, Do you think election officials must be forced to do it?
0: Yeah, there there was this election judge who was apparently at the uh, Islamic Voting Center in Scottsdale, Michelle yeah. Swinnick, yeah. who came forward and was telling what was happening at her polling place. And and it was basically what you're describing. But she said, you know, there was a test done the day before to ensure everything was working properly. It was working properly. Then we opened up and you had what you had with the the tabulators and the printers. And she thinks it was not accidental. What do you think?
9: So I can't get in the minds of the people, but what I would say, um, and that, that election judge, uh, we've reached out. Uh, so it's just tremendous that she came forward, and, and we're grateful. The printers get tested the night before. Now, did they turn the printers off, and then the next morning, turn them back on, and the setting reset? Because none of that's in the, in the poll worker manual, telling them how to set the printer setting. Did they leave them on overnight? You know, um, then they should have been fine. There is no requirement when the poll workers check in and open up the site for them to run a test print through the tabulator. So there you go. They, they, they have mm. to turn it on and run it through. I don't like ballot-on-demand printers at all, Dan, because this, like, this, this happens every cycle. It's usually not as catastrophic, but this is what happened in Pinal, a variation on the theme in the primary. Um, if you have precinct-based voting – and then you order paper-printed ballots ahead of time, and you use a very simple tabulator that's doing nothing but counting the marks, you know, we did not used to have this issue. This overnight, 10 to 12 days, Maricopa announced the week before the election that it would be 10 to 12 days for them to process the results. So, you know, even had, had this not happened, I think this issue that happened has impacted the Republican Party voters in the worst possible way, and they were absolutely one hundred percent disenfranchised. I mean, but this it's just, process, it's just for America, yeah, but
0: yeah. so when Macomb County's and gonna yeah.
9: take twelve days? That, that's their plan. I mean, right. they announced that that's their intent, and right. nobody, you know, seems concerned.
0: But that's not a threat to our democracy, Uh, people being (laughs) disenfranchised, this sort of chaos and confusion and the and and the the corresponding loss of faith in the system. That's not a threat to our democracy. Okay. Okay. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to uh, now you're the executive director of this organization, the Voter Reference Foundation. And I just wanted to get sort of a a broad understanding of the work that you're doing there, because this is relevant to not only what's happening in Maricopa County, but nationally. Thank you,
9: Dan. So. VoteRef.com, votere scom is the site that the Voter Reference Foundation uses to post the voter rolls. I've got 31 states and the District of Columbia up there. What we have to do, um, and, you know, the only way we're going to vote our way out of this is if we clean up the rolls, and we need the public to do that. So National Voter Registration Act says public has oversight. I am acquiring the voter rolls directly from the election official, chain of custody is up there on the site. We're, we're processing it to, so that people can see it and view it. You can search your family. You can search an address. You can, in theory, find if there are 350 people registered in a single-family home. People have to hmm. go to Look look up your family, make sure your loved one that might be in a nursing care facility, let's say in Wisconsin, is not having someone cast ballots on their behalf. We have to stop the ballots from going out to people who are not eligible voters. To do that, we have to report the records of the voters that are still on here because the ballots are going out um, automatically in an uncontrolled fashion. When we when everyone does a postmortem of this, I'm already hearing folks, you know, great people, Victor Davis Hanson and Molly Hemingway saying, hey, the vote in person thing isn't going to work. We're going to have to outvote them by mail. I, I, I you know. I'm not a, a consultant to speak to that. What I will say is that you better clean up the voter rolls if the plan is to continue to let everybody vote by mail. And right now we can't stop it because we don't have majorities in a lot of these states. Clean up yeah. the voter rolls, yeah. then then we can start to get to work. Thank you, Dan.
0: Yeah. Right. No. And and we'll see how uh, you know all of those uh, alleged transparency advocates react to the work that you're doing, too. That'll also be instructive. (laughs) Uh, She is Gina Swoboda. She's a former director in the uh, in the Elections Department, Secretary of State's office in Arizona. She's now the executive director of the Voter Reference Foundation, as she just mentioned, voteref.com for uh, the information on the project that she's doing. And and um, and she's getting to all 50 states in terms of looking at the voter rolls and what's happening to try to ensure some sort of accountability where There appears to be very little. Uh, Gina, thank you so much for trying to bring some clarity to this cluster down in Maricopa County. Uh, We certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. God bless. Uh, You too, and she joined us on the Line.
1: This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka, today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4, on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, but no Amy today, she's off, so just me. Did you uh, catch Dave Chappelle hosting Saturday Night Live? I know there's no reason to watch Saturday Night Live, but Dave Chappelle hosting would be about the only reason, at least for his opening monologue. I checked it out after the fact online. I assume some of what I heard online was bleeped somehow even though it's live uh i don't know the use of the n-word in his monologue that's going out that's still going out over the airwaves on uh, free tv not since sanford and son i thought but anyway uh of course the occasion of chappelle hosting snl provided the opportunity for the virtue signaling writers some of them at least who are still still can't get over uh, his jokes about the trans or his observations about the trans, the trans movement and so forth. So there was this report in page six in the run up to Saturday night show of him being boycotted by some of the writers, but none of the virtue signaling cast members, interestingly. And Chappelle, who is um, you know provocative guy, which is why I like him, even when I disagree with him, independent thinker, Um, And, uh, you know, creative. He's funny. Uh, He um, dared to go where I don't think too many comedians or anybody else would go these days to tackle the controversy surrounding Kanye West and Kyrie Irving as it relates to their anti-Semitic statements. And I just wonder how people react to what he had to say because, you know, Uh, Even though it was at the tail end of their careers, I have an appreciation for things that actually existed before I was on this planet, uh, which I think is uh, increasingly not the case among the young. So I think of Jackie Mason and I think of Don Rickles and I think of, you know, equal opportunity ridiculers. You know, everybody gets their turn. Jackie Mason, Don Rickles. Making fun of. Jewish people and everybody else. Everybody gets their turn. And now uh, nobody except uh, white cisgendered Christian men. Is is a uh, fair game. White Christian cisgendered men are the only fair target these days. And so it makes it difficult to uh, wade into controversial incidents Involving protected classes, as it were, protected classes from comedy. There should be no protected class when it comes to comedy. You should be able to laugh at yourself, even if it's cliched, even if it's leveraging tired cliches, even if it's not funny to you. That's sort of the point. It's like it's like uh, arguing about, of course, I'm for free speech as long as I agree with it. Well, that's right. That runs exactly counter to the point. And so here's how Chappelle opened.
14: Uh, Before I start tonight, I just wanted to read a brief statement that I prepared. (laughs) I denounce anti-Semitism in all its
4: forms.
14: (laughs) And I stand with my friends in the Jewish community. And that, Kanye, is how you buy yourself some time. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And early in my career, I learned that there are two words in the English language that you should never say together in sequence, and those words are the and juice. <laughs> I've never heard someone do good after they said that.
0: You know what's funny? Watching his monologue, and I got a couple more snippets I want to play. Is this audience? And he sort of addresses it at the end and, and, and wraps it up nicely with uh, some sarcasm to cover, I think, what he really means. Sort of uh, from his comedy special where he, turn, he, he turned it on the audience when he was making fun of people who were virtue signaling and, and so censorious. And he said, Look, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you here sitting, uh, enjoying my show, laughing along with me who will turn around and silence somebody else. And that's what I got. I mean, that was running through my mind when I'm watching his monologue. All these New Yorkers and whatever tourists that go to watch this terrible uh, skit show now because it's because they have sacred cows. And that's why it's not funny. um, To laugh along as Chappelle, you know, straddles the third rail. Tackling, you know, this race, race, religion issue. Uh, and and talking about, you know, uh, the uh, influence or the presence of Jewish people in entertainment, they're laughing right along. They would never do it if it was anybody other than Chappelle. Chappelle sort of makes it OK. But they'll turn right around and treat their neighbor who isn't Dave Chappelle, who doesn't have the celebrity. They'll look for ways to jackpot their neighbor if he says anything similar To what Chappelle said Even if it was also tongue in cheek Here's a good one About Adidas and their virtue signaling You know dumping Kanye
14: He said I can say anti-Semitic things And Adidas can't drop me Now (sighs) what? Adidas dropped that immediately (laughs) Ironically Adidas was founded by Nazis. And they were offended.
0: Uh, uh, That's true, you know, by the way. That is absolutely true. Adidas, that's where the name comes from. Uh, Adolf Dossler. Adidas. That's That's the name Adidas. And his brother, Rudolf, founded Puma, the Puma Shoe Company. German cobblers. Absolutely true what Chappelle said. Anybody know that? No. And now Adidas is going to, right. So, uh, and um, uh, I'm breaking Hollywood's rules, as Kanye did. he The Brooklyn
14: show business rules. Is this is a rule. You know, the rules of perception. If, if they're black, then it's a gang. If they're Italian, it's a mob. But if they're Jewish, it's a coincidence, and he should never speak about it. <laughs> <laughs> no one's y'all to get mad at me. I'm just telling you, I've been to Hollywood. This is just what I saw. It's a lot of (laughs) juice. Like, a lot. (laughs) But that didn't mean anything. You know what I mean? There's a lot of black people in Ferguson, Missouri. Doesn't even run a place. (laughs) I could see if you had some kind of issue. You know what I mean? You might go out to Hollywood and your mind might start connecting some kind of lines and you could maybe adopt the delusion that the Jews run show business. It's not a crazy thing to think. But it's a crazy thing to say out loud
0: in a kind like this. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And uh, his clothes on the larger point.
14: It shouldn't be this scary to talk
0: about anything.
14: It's making my job incredibly difficult. And to be honest with you, I'm getting sick of talking to a crowd like this. I love you to death. And I thank you for your support. And I hope they don't take anything away from me.
0: <laughs> whoever they are. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, the, I mean, you know, he's making a, a, a comical appeal to a, a stereotype. But, but the, whoever they are is the audience. Whoever they are is this audience, just as it's the humorless left throughout all of these institutions, just as it's the humorless left writers of a comedy show who were boycotting Chappelle's presence as the host. Irony of ironies. Mike in Griffith, Indiana.
4: Hey, how you doing, Dan? Hey, by the way, thank you so much for all the great work you've done on that last election. Thank Honest you. to God, we couldn't have done it without you. And, uh, we hope I, don't, I don't know what we
0: did, but, you know, we made an effort.
4: Well, at least you put a couple dents in them and maybe a flat tire on the boys here and there. But, uh, yeah, Chappelle, the N-word went out loud and clear on broadcast.
0: Did it? Wow.
4: Broadcast, oh, yeah. I got it on DVD. You want me to play it for you?
0: No, thank you. No, we're Probably good.
4: Probably not, but, hey, here's, our, here's a bit of ironic irony with the, with the idiotic Democratic liberals. Over the weekend, NPR had a lady on She's the head of the National Librarians Association, complaining about people not wanting certain books in the library. And the guy says, well, there's got to be a little discretion there, right? Oh, no. Everybody should have rights to everything, except Kyrie Irving puts a Twitter post just on a book. You don't have to believe in the book. Don't read it then. And that guy's banned for life now, right?
0: Well, I don't know if he's banned for life, but they're putting him through the ringer, and and it, the the list of to dos from Irving, in addition to writing checks, seems to be. Uh, without end. And I'm not defending what he said or what he did. I mean, the, and I'm not defending what Kanye said or what he did, too. Is weird. And he says all sorts of strange things and that, that are hardly decipherable, much less uh, it, do you have to rally to Kanye's... Def- do, do you have to believe anything he's saying to rally to his defense? But the point is to say, you know, you're allowed to say stupid things. And then somebody, then people will respond saying, you know what, that's a stupid thing. And here's why it's a stupid thing. I- is that the way we should handle people who say ignorant things or stupid things or even comedic things? I didn't find that funny because X, Y. Or should we, you know, assemble all of our keyboard cowboy friends and put pressure on a professional sports team front offices and and anybody else and try to eliminate somebody or exact a, a punishment that that has them thinking twice the next time they say anything? Yeah, that's what you want to do. You, down, wanna, you, wanna, you, you want to chill? You want to me? right you want a chill free speech you want a chill free yeah, speech
4: how far down you think they'll bury me if i say i don't believe in the moon landing
0: yeah well,
4: <laughs> i mean you I know mean what bit, you're whatever Goodbye, whatever you know?
0: thanks for the call mike i mean yeah yeah i don't agree with you on that but do i think mike from griffith needs to be fired from his job and put in the public square so we can throw tomatoes at him no i don't think so i think it's a bit of an overreaction which is the overreaction generally speaking, from all of these authoritarians decrying authoritarianism who are in charge of our cultural institutions, including the schools, by the way, including the schools. Please. Oh, yeah. The the, the book banners, because I don't want pornography in my kids, my grade school kids classroom. I'm a book banner. Say the people that are Canceling and silencing and excoriating and eliminating anybody who disagrees with them on the substance of a particular policy issue, homophobe, racist, blah 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 blah. Drummed out, you get drummed out of your own company. I mean, do, have people forgotten this is this is what I, this has to be six eight years ago? Brendan Eich, the founder of Mozilla, gets drummed out of his own company because he made a fifteen hundred dollar donation to um, the uh, a traditional marriage. Uh, defense that was a ballot initiative in California. But that that's not censorious. That's not intolerance. That's not hate. No, no. Right. Everything that they do in rolling over people is in the interest of love and tolerance and promoting diversity and so on and so forth. What a joke. That's the biggest punchline of all, except... That's not funny either. You know something else too. Uh, Chappelle took up, which was great, was uh, the notion that you know the Trump after the midterms, the Trump era is now over, and uh, as somebody who lives outside of the you know entertainment world enclaves, he lives in Ohio. Uh, Chappelle had a different take, and the the great thing is he he's he's like about five degrees off from Victor Davis Hanson's formulation of. Trump's uh, surprising to most victory in 2016. Remember, Victor Davis Hanson said basically Trump's value proposition as a candidate was, you know, those people in Hollywood, in the media, on Wall Street, uh, inside the Beltway. I know them all, and they're even worse than you think. And so when you think they're sticking it to you, you're right. They despise you. The people play by the rules out there in the hustings uh, in flyover country. And, you know, Chappelle's take on Trump, not, dis- not really that different. Take a listen.
14: I'm watching the news now. They're declaring the end of the Trump era. Now, okay, I can see how in New York you might believe this is the end of his era. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I live in Ohio amongst the poor whites.
4: <laughs>
14: a lot of you don't understand why Trump was so popular, but I, I get it because I hear it every day. He's very loved. And the reason he's loved is because people in Ohio have never seen somebody like him. He's what I call an honest liar. Well, I'm not joking right now. He's an honest liar. That first debate, that first debate, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a white male billionaire screaming at the top of his lungs. This whole system is rigged. he said. And across the stage was a white woman, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, sitting over there looking at him like... No, it's not. I said, now wait a minute, bro. It's what he said. And the moderator said, well, Mr. Trump, if in fact the system is rigged, as you suggest, what would be your evidence? You remember what he said, bro? He said, I know the system is rigged because I use it. I said, God damn. (laughs) And then he pulled out an Illuminati membership card and chopped a line of cocaine up and did it right at the podium. No one ever heard someone say something that true. And then Hillary Clinton tried to punch me the taxes. She said, this man doesn't pay his taxes. He shot right back. That makes me smart. <laughs> and then he said, if you want me to pay my taxes, then change the tax code. But I know you won't, because your friends and your donors enjoy the same tax breaks that I do. And with that, my friends, a star was born. (laughs) No one had ever seen anything like that. No one had ever seen somebody come from inside of that house, outside, and tell all the commoners, we are doing everything that you think we are doing (laughs) inside of that house. They just went right back in the house and started playing the game again.
0: Uh. A lot of the nation got the message. Obviously, Illinois isn't uh, one of those states that did. One of those states that in, inexplicably continues to vote for the system that is rigged against them. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank.